You alright this morning? Boy, what a song to start off chapel with. We are, actually I guess the finish as far as worship. And as we get into talking about God, I hope and pray just as Jared prayed as he, before I came about knowing that are you really His? Are you holding to that truth? Uh, are you really realizing that being His means that you as a young person, and there's nothing that you can't accomplish if you put Him first. And so, today I was going to speak to you this morning about parents. I had everything lined out last night after going to the bonfire and going home. Uh, I'm one of those, after I do something, it takes a while for me to wind down. So last night I had looked through everything, about 1.30, 2 o'clock, finally crawl in bed. I get up this morning about 8, and I'm like, you know what, I just don't like what I what the Lord, what I felt the Lord had laid on my heart. I felt like he was leading me another way. And so uh, after I got up, I completely changed gears because I really don't think that that's where the Lord would have me go. Because looking and listening to what you had to say, there were a couple things that really came across through my mind in my devotions this morning. And so... I want to take you, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. And so as I start, the, the thought this morning, if I had to title it, I know Uncle Paul would ask me for a title on one of the other ones that I don't think I gave one. This would be Stop That Stinking Thinking. Stop that stinking thinking. Sometimes as Christians, and we all do it, we all look at our lives and we say, well, I'm too this or I'm too that. Maybe I'm too too bald. Maybe I'm too fat. Maybe I'm too uh, ugly. Maybe there's something wrong. And I had mentioned this before, but something that was said, well, several something, really stuck with me last night. And so the more I started thinking about what the Lord would have me share is the final thing to give you as you walk away this week. And you go back. Jared and several other counselors have mentioned it. Some of the junior staff, I'm sure, have mentioned it as well. You know, it's easy while you're here. While you're here, everything's away. All those distractions I talked to you about at the lake, uh, those things are gone. You don't really have to worry about them for the most part. Some of you, you've got some of them hidden. There's some things that maybe you brought you weren't supposed to or some things that you got hidden from counselors. And you think that it, you've gotten away with it. And so there are some distractions here. On top of that, Satan, he's, like the verse said earlier this week, he's walking around seeking whom he may devour. So he's thrown some distractions at some of you. You know, last night the forecast was calling for rain. You know, as soon as I pulled out of here and got down the road, it started pouring down rain. And so did the Lord hold off the rain last night? He did. Uh, you said, oh, come on, Scott. I believe he gave you the opportunity to share some of the things that the Lord had laid on your heart so you could be a witness and a testimony to your peers here in this group. Let's face it, I can say things till I'm blue in the face, but nine out of ten times you're going to listen to your peers much more than you listen to me. And so as I thought about that this morning, that stinking thinking that goes on in our heads, sometimes we just think the worst is come. My daughters, I told you, they just got a video game. What was it? Well, Jocelyn, my youngest, she's six, and one of the things that I have noticed with her, because her sister's older than her by, I don't know, I guess it's 16 months or so, her sister's about 16 months older than her, Jocelyn sometimes thinks that she can't do some of the same things that Michaela can do. And so they've been playing Mario Kart, and the one thing that happens, guess what? Michaela beats her time after time after time. And I noticed that when all four of us got down there playing it, Jocelyn was coming in last, so finally I started losing some races so that Jocelyn was getting in 11th, and she'd beat Mama once or twice, okay, all the time. 
uh, Mama can't play video games. And so it's one of those. <laughs> I can remember when we were dating, we would play Mario Kart. Believe it or not, it was around back then, but trust me, it was there. And so we played Mario Kart and some other games, and while we were dating, we had some fun with it. But now, she's not gotten any better. I'm sorry. I think she's gotten worse. But it's one of those, Jocelyn, you can see it in her mind. You can see what's going on. There's discouragement. Oh, I can't do this. And she's just, all of a sudden, it's, she gets behind and what takes place. I can't do it, and she gives up. You know what? That's the exact same thing that happens in our lives sometimes. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about, is that thinking, thinking that goes on in your mind, oh, I can't do it. Do you understand? There's people that look at me and they think I'm this or they think I'm that, or I think about this, because let's face it, most of us, we do it to ourselves. We discourage ourselves. We don't lift ourselves up. And you say, but I'm not supposed to. You are. You've got to get the positive back in your mind and realize God has created you with a purpose. You are sons and daughters of God. You have to realize he has something awesome for you. You are created in his image. Doesn't that mean something to you? I know I joke about being bald and all that, but there's a verse, there's actually several verses, you know, passage that talks about Elisha. And some of you may know where I'm going with this. Elisha actually had some kids that made fun of him because he was bald. And not only did they make fun of him, I really believe they were making fun of him because some of the things he was sharing about his mentor, Elijah. And so if you look at the passage and you go back and read it, I believe those kids were probably making fun of him because of what he was sharing. And you know what? He called a bear out of the... Actually, prayed to God, and a she-bear came out and attacked those children because they called them balding. Yeah, go ahead. Call me baldy, I dare you. No. <laughs> It's one of those that as I think about that thinking, thinking, and I think about the things going on in your life, here's the first thing I want to talk to you about. But before I read anything in 1 Kings, I want to share with you 1 Kings chapter 18. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to write it down, this is the passage that sets up where we're going to go. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is there, and the prophets of Baal are getting ready to... Actually, there's been some discourse. They've been talking back and forth. And so Elijah is... is Basically, going at the prophets of Baal and say, hey, we can take you. I, my God, he can take you. And so it's one of those things that as Elijah goes on, he finally convinces the prophets of Baal. He says, let's have a contest. And so in this contest, he says, we're going to build two altars. I'll take care of my altar. You take care of yours. Bring two bullocks. We're going to slay the one. Let you slay the one. Put on the altar. Pray to your God and see if he will start a fire. And we all know the story. What happens? They prayed, actually, I'm going to stop it. They actually prayed from, from the morning until noontime, and Elijah comes in and says, Where's your God? Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's not even, I don't know, maybe he's just, maybe you need to say it a little louder. And so he kind of mocks them and makes fun of them. And so after lunchtime, they start cutting themselves. They start doing all these things trying to get their God to hear them. And Elijah knows that God's not going to hear them because he's not a real God. And so, as she said, they go not only from sunup, but they go all the way until the, the evening hour when they have certain, uh, I just lost it, certain things that they would offer as sacrifices in the evening hour. And so it tells you what hour it is, and my mind draws a blank which one it is at this point. But anyway, that's what's going on. So finally Elijah stops him and says, listen, you guys just not, he's not there. He's not listening to you. So let me, let me do mine. 
So Elijah gets up, he slays his bullock, lays it on the altar, and he says, you know what, bring me those four pitchers over there. He takes four pitchers, fills them up with water, pours it over the altar. Then he actually had a, a ditch or a trench dug around the altar. So the water runs off the altar, runs off the stones, starts filling up the ditch. He has those four pots filled up three times. After the third time, the ditch is completely full, the altar is soaked, the wood soaked, the, the sacrifice is soaked, and he prays to God, and you know what happens? Fire comes down, not only eats up the sacrifice, eats up the stones, the wood, it even says it licked up the dust as well as all the water that was in the trench. So you tell me, is our God awesome? Man, he is powerful. God can do some things. And sometimes we look at stuff like that and say, oh, that's a story. But you know what? Elijah lived it. And do you know he even struggles with this thinking, thinking that's going on in his mind? Because not only then does, did God do all that, but then Elijah goes and kills all the prophets of Baal. He says, we've got to get rid of them because they're ruining the children of Israel. So he kills all the prophets of Baal, roughly about 450 men. After he kills all these prophets, then... He starts praying, praying for rain, and Ahab, uh, if you look in chapter 19, this is where I'm at now. Chapter 19, Ahab, his servant, uh, right at the end of the chapter, he's telling his, Ahab that, hey, God's going to bring rain. He tells him to go tell the people and do all this stuff. Well, as the rain starts to come, they see a cloud off in the distance. He tells Ahab um, to go back. And so in chapter 19, that's where I'm at. First Kings chapter 19. And at the, oh, I'm sorry, I, got, I forgot two points I want to make at the end of the chapter. Do you know, this is one of the few times I can think about, anybody of you think you can run faster than a horse? I can't. Um, I got long legs, but I know I can't outrun a horse. Do you know, not only did this man watch God send fire down from heaven, but it says that he girded himself up, he took his robe, tied it up so he actually could run, and he outran a horse and a chariot all the way back to town. So, had this man seen God's power? Yeah. One person makes one simple threat against this man in the next chapter, and that's what I want to share with you this morning, is talk to you about what is it that takes you and causes you to stumble or causes you to fall. And so the first point that I want to make, thinking, thinking can undermine your courage and your confidence. If you look at this, in 1 Kings chapter 19, start in verse 3. And when he had saw that, that he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. What he saw, the first two verses was, he saw Ahab go to Jezebel and tell Jezebel what he had done to the prophets of Baal. And so he starts fearing for his life. Should he have feared for his life? No. His God had already shown how powerful he was. I mean, he let him outrun a chariot. I mean, how many of you, you'd be walking, running by and think, yeah, you think you're going to get your head at me. <laughs> I mean, it's like Sonic the Hedgehog. He's gone. Uh, or for some of you that like Looney Tunes, it's um, Roadrunner. Uh, my daughters have just got into Looney Tunes. I'm so thankful. The rest of the cartoons out there are a joke. And so they can actually watch something that's halfway decent, except for the fact they are a little harsh on each other and smacking each other around, but I do that to them too, so oh well. Um, just kidding. That's thinking, thinking. It undermines our courage and our confidence. Man, here was a man who just flew 450 people, along with a few others mixed in there, 450 people he kills with God's power, and yet here he is, one woman makes one statement and starts to say, hey, he's dead. She makes a threat against his life, and he says, uh-oh. 
Should he have been scared? No. But you know what? It's the same way in your life. You get one friend or one group of people that comes at you because of something that you stand up for, something that's right in your life. And let me tell you, should you worry about it? You know what? God has plans for you, and you don't even understand. Sometimes, I'm going to tell you, the world's going to make you feel horrible because you took a stand and you did something that was right. Maybe you told on somebody. Maybe you, hey, I told someone to stop. They need to stop doing this. Maybe you did it. And you know what? People are going to look at you, and they're going to say some horrid things about you. And you know what? It doesn't matter what they say. Because does God care? Yes, He is your best friend, guys. You can go to Him with anything. And I'm going to tell you, God's going to protect you. He's going to take care of you. Are there going to be things that are going to happen in your life that are sad? Are there going to be some tough times? You're going to get hurt. You know what? My daughters, they love to ride their bikes. They've got scooters. And so they've got these, they're mini razors. They're not razors. They're not old enough for them yet. But they've got these mini scooters, and they're learning balance, and they're just starting to get into these things, and they love them. And you know what? They wear elbow pads. They wear knee pads. They wear helmets. They even got these little hand wrist pads that they come down and protect their wrist. I was like, man, what, where's the fun in that? When I was a kid, we felt we got cut up and scraped. But nowadays, you've got to have everything on because if you don't, why, what kind of parent are you? You didn't put pads on your child. And so I said, it's one of those, I put them on there. You know why? I want my girls to be protected. I want them to understand. But I also told them, Plus, there's going to be some of these calls. These pads aren't going to protect. And so Kayla, about a, two weeks ago, she's seven years old. She had her first stitches. She's outside running. There's some gravel on the driveway, and I, had, I saw it, and I thought, you know, I need to clean that up. And I'm feeling guilty at this point because it's been two weeks, but I did clean it up, by the way. So she's out there playing basketball, and she starts to run, and she grabs hold of that gravel and slides. She falls, cuts her knee, had that three little stitches. Oh, you'd think the world was dying. She's on that table screaming bloody murder. I was like, Max, you're not going to feel anything once they numb it. I said, the needle going in the numb, it's going to hurt, but after that... Oh, my goodness. She let out the most blood-curling scream on that table when they put that needle in. And you know what? Afterwards, I was like, did you feel anything after No. I said, then why are you crying? It hurts. I said, it doesn't hurt anymore. I said, you got to understand that doctor. He's already starting on them stitches. No, he's not. I said, look down. Her eyes got this big. She goes, I can't look anymore, Daddy. That's bad. And she could see that needle going in the skin and him tying a knot. I was like, just close your eyes. It'll be done before you know it. She goes... Is he done the second one yet? I said, oh, he's already tied the third one. You're done. Nah. And she looked at me. You know what? God gives us that same type of confidence. It's done. Wow. You know what? I look at Michaela. I look at my own life. I do the same thing. Sometimes the things come into our life, and what do we do? We look at all those problems, and we forget God's in control, not me, not you. And so the first thing I wanted you to see, verses 3 through 9, let me finish these verses now. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came unto him the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of the meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? I must stop there. Look at verses 4 and 5. What did he do? He starts complaining and asking God to do what to him? Let me die. That's ridiculous. 
Had he forgotten what God had brought him through? Just, I mean, you're talking a page away. This wasn't like this happened a year and a half, two years later. It wasn't that far in back. We're talking just a few hours before, and here's what happens. The night, the day before, he'd seen all these things God had done, and yet what? He forgot. Just let me die, God. I'm nothing. I'm just like my, my forefathers. Sinners, this, that. He's thinking through his mind all the problems that he had seen instead of focusing on the fact that God could take care of Jezebel and take care of what was going on, the fact that she had said, hey, we need to kill him. One little threat by one woman scared him to death. And so I look at that. I look at it. She was a godless woman. Jezebel was a godless woman, and yet he still was more fearful of her threat than knowing that God had something great in store for him. So that's the first thing I want you to see. Stinking thinking can undermine our courage and confidence. The second point, look at verses 10 through 13. And he said, I have been jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken my covenant, thrown down their altars, and slain my prophets with a sword. And I even, I only, I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, break it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it. I'm going to stop there. When you look at this and you understand, the second point, thinking, thinking can deafen us. Man, he was going through, he went through all these things. Look at those verses from 10 through 13 at the beginning of 13. He goes through the mountains. I mean, they're quaking. The rocks are breaking. He goes through a fire and then earthquake, and yet for some reason, a wind blowing, this huge wind blowing, and he doesn't see God. It takes hearing that still small voice for him to wake up. And so I want you to understand, a lot of times as a Christian, we can get this way. We can become deaf to God because we're listening to all the problems around us. A couple of counselors last night mentioned, hey, you've got to take your problems and tell your problems about God. Do you know what? That is so true. Your problems that you have, a lot of times when you're going through life, everything's good. You've forgotten about God. You're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You know what? You should be praying during the good times as well as the bad times because as soon as those bad times come, then you're going to be focused. Hey, I'm praying. I'm doing what God wants. Oh, you know what? Some of those verses I read, that, you know, that's where that ties in. That's why I need that. Man, God's in control of everything. And so make sure you think of this. What are some of the thoughts, some of the things that you think of people in your life that can help so that you aren't deaf to this? Think of someone in this room. I watched, and I don't think he's in here. I think his name is Josh, the guy who did the screen stuff back there. I watched him a couple different times. He got up at one point during the practice one day, went and got some bottles of water. I don't know. They may have asked him. Uh, one of the kids joked when he came back, and he said, well, I didn't know you cut that song out. Well, you were being a servant. You went and got us water. They said you were being a friend. But really, he was being a servant. He went and got them some water because they'd been practicing. You know what? Sometimes some in this room, you could be a servant to your parents. Your teachers. You ever see your dad out mowing the lawn or grandpa or somebody out mowing the lawn, 90-some degrees outside? What could you do for him? Take him a glass of water. If he likes sweet tea, take him a big old pitcher of sweet tea. Mm. He'd love you forever. But that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because, you know what, God has given you some talent. Some of you in here, it's listening. Some of you can listen to things people are saying. Somebody's hurting. 
there's something up with so-and-so. All they want is something, someone to listen. You know, a lot of times as a youth pastor, I don't have to give people a lot of big verses. I can take them to verses. But you know what? Nine out of ten times most people want just someone to listen. Someone to pay attention. Someone to say, oh, hey, can I tell you about something? I don't have to give them any huge answers. I can give them some answers out of Scripture. But you know what? A lot of times we forget people just want to be able to talk to someone and know I can trust them. They're not going to go gossip. They're not going to go share it with everybody else. Someone who's kind. Someone who's an encourager. Someone who's lifting somebody out. I had one of the girls come to me today and tell me how much they appreciated some of the things I said. You know what? Sometimes you can just say something to someone that's going to lift them up. You know, that made me feel, hey, at least there's something I said that lifted someone up. And you know, it's not for me. It's for the Holy Spirit. That's why I do it, because honestly, I love you guys. I would come here, I'm getting a big salary, you know that? I'm not getting paid. It's not about the money. You know, it's all about you kids, because I want you to understand, God has something important in your life. Are you willing to listen and follow Him? You look at these counselors, they could be somewhere else making a lot of money. A lot more than what they're making here. That's not why they're in it. They're in it to spend time learning and growing as a Christian and have the opportunity to be a witness and a testimony to you guys. And so I look at it, this thinking, thinking can deafen us. Now, look a little further in this passage in chapter 19 with me. Verses, the last part of verse 13 through 18, and this is my last point. And when Elijah had heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering into the cave, And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. I'm sorry, Haziel. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abimelech, shall thou anoint to the prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. As you look at this and understand, what was he saying? In verse 13 and 14, there was something Elijah said that we all say. I'm alone. No one else is under is out there. They're going through the same thing I'm going through. I'm going to share a story, and I'm going to close with this as I think about this last point. And as I share this story, the one thing I want you to think about, as Christians, so many times, not only are we deaf, not only are, are we to the point where we're not listening to the things that God has put around us, but we're blinded to it. And so as I think about being blind, I think about being deaf and then also allowing that thinking, thinking to undermine our courage and our, who we are and our confidence in what God has given us. First year I came to Tri-Cities Christian School. My wife was teaching. I was actually at Milligan, taking classes at Milligan, not too far from here. Um, I was a buffalo. Uh, oh, supposed to be funny. Um, I don't look like a buffalo. you got to have hair. Anyway, um, while I was at Milligan, my wife was the uh, math and speech teacher at the school. And so they actually had asked her because she taught the senior classes, two out of like six senior classes. <coughs> so they asked us to go on the senior trip. I didn't 
know most of these kids. I had been to a few ball games, shared a few things with a couple of them, talked to them, but they just they didn't know who I was. They just thought I was, you know, some knucklehead along for the ride. They were going to go to to Canada, get to go see Niagara Falls. They were going to go to Toronto, get to look around the city. We got to go into the Toronto Blue Jays Stadium, got to run out on the field. Thought I was some big, you know, anyway. Um, got to run around the bases, and then we did a few other things. And then we came back, went to New York, got to see the Statue of Liberty, got to go to uh, Ellis Island, where any of your uh, grandparents who may have come over in the early 1900s probably came through Ellis Island and signed a book, The Immigrants. And so it's pretty neat. We got to see all these things. Well, there was something that happened that year that really it didn't strike me at the time as what, how important it was, but it's something that's really got me to think about my own life and my own daughter's. There's a young lady that at the time, and my wife had shared this with me because some of her classmates were giving her a hard time. She had decided she would never kiss a young man until she was married. She would never hug someone as far as another guy. She would never do until it was her husband. Some of you are going, that woman's crazy. She'll never find anybody like her out there. She believed God had laid it on her heart that that's what she wanted. She wanted someone that she was going to marry that would know that this was the first person she had kissed, this was the first person that she had hugged and held hands with, and it had never gone too far. And so I can remember I met this young lady, had a chance to spend some time with her, really sweet young lady. Some people would probably look at her and say, she's ugly, no wonder she said that. Some people might look at her and say, oh, she's crazy. Why? She just she wants to be different. You know what? She believed the Lord had laid it on her heart. There were some guys in her class that gave her a hard time. One guy in particular, I can remember on that senior trip, had made the comment to some of his buddies, and I got wind of it, that he was going to kiss her on that senior trip. She was in tears because she believed he was going to take away something from her that she wanted to give to her husband, her future husband. I remember pulling this kid off the bus in, in New York City, I just eyeball to eyeball. I said, young man, called him by name. I said, if you don't leave her alone, I said, I will personally take you off this bus. I'll throw you over my shoulder, haul you down to the airport, and put you on a plane back to Bristol. You wouldn't. I said, oh, yes, I will. Young man made a couple other statements. I said, and besides that, if I was her dad, I said, if you even go there, I said, I'll go in the court with him, and I said, I, I will make sure that I let the court know. I said, you have ruined this young lady's reputation. And I said, because if I wasn't that, I'd come after you. I said, not only would I want to beat you up, but I, I wouldn't. But as a father, I want to make sure that you paid for what my daughter, this was something important to her. And I said, I will make sure I give this young lady's dad my phone number, my address, and I will be at court to deal with it if I have to. Well, it's not a big deal. I said, yes, it is. I said to her, I said, this is just like what some people call them being a virgin until they're, they're married. Because to her, that's what she wanted. She wanted to give her whole self. She had something that she counted as precious that she could lay at her husband's feet and say, you know what, I have never kissed anyone other than you. I have never done anything else other than what you and I will do together as a husband and wife. Some of you say, oh, come on, she never found anybody. You know what? She didn't find anybody at school. She graduated. She never kissed anybody. She started in the college. The first two years of college, she got a Bible degree. Didn't kiss anyone. Never found anyone. She got off into a mission school. While she was at a mission school, she came in contact with a young man. Guess what he had done when he was a teenager? The same promise. 
never wanted to kiss anyone, never wanted to hold hands or hug until they got married. They didn't know what they were doing. Let me tell you, they had fun together by themselves when they got married. No one knew. No one understood. Let me tell you, they had something special that most couples, I can, myself included, I wish I could say. I wish I could look at you and say, I did the same thing with my wife. But I didn't. And Satan knows that sometimes, guys, we want to look at people and say, ah, they're crazy. You know what the only thing crazy is? That you as Christian young people, you're not going to understand that God, He could do great things for you if you just trust Him. You think she ever doubted that she's going to find someone? I think there was some hesitation. But I also know she knew that her God was, if He wanted her to get married and find someone, then that was it. If not, then that, so be it. You know what? There was some doubt after her second year of Bible college. She said, okay, maybe God doesn't want me to get married. Maybe that's why I didn't have to worry about the feelings or the emotions. When she found someone at college, I can remember her writing back and telling my wife and I, she was so ecstatic. Man, her honeymoon, let me tell you, she shared something with that young man that no one could take away from her. She gave him, he gave her something they had never touched, never enjoyed the emotional bonds, the emotional things that are tied to the physicality of dating. And so I have to say, it's tough. You say, oh, come on. That's ridiculous. Right now they're halfway married. They've got a child. They're in a mission field. They are doing what the Lord wants in their lives. And I can tell you, not everybody's called to be like that. I understand that. But I also know sometimes we limit God and say, God, there's no way. I'm enjoying life. Leave me alone. You know why? Because you're blinded just like Elijah. Elijah was blinded. He said, I'm the only one. Was he the only one? No. He may have been the only prophet that was still alive. He wasn't the only person that believed in God. If that was the case, then my goodness, sometimes we get so consumed. Look at this room. Look at the young people that are in this room right now that claim to be Christians. You're not the only one. You're not the only one going through some of those horrible things that you think it's just you. So I can tell you, all of us have been there. Every time you start to think about, I'm the only one, guys, you have to stop and realize, God has a purpose. Are you willing to listen? And so as I close this morning, thinking, thinking can undermine our confidence, our courage. It can deafen us. It can blind us. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. How do I do all this, God? How do I focus on this? Well, number one, go back and look at Elijah anytime you start feeling this way. Number two, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. This is how we do it. And I kind of alluded to this verse at one point throughout this week, but I wanted to share it with you. You've all heard it. You've all read it at times. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Guys, you take this verse to heart. This is the verse I put out there. Anytime I find new music that I want to listen to, I don't care, contemporary Christian music, any band, any genre, whether it's rap, I like some of the hip-hop, I like some other stuff, but I'm going to tell you, whatever that music is, I take this verse, I open my Bible up, and I take the leaf cover to the CD of whoever it is I'm going to listen to, and I look at it. Is there pure things in this? Is there holy things? Is there just? Is there honest? Whether it's a movie I'm watching, 
Because I'm going to tell you, if a movie has God's name in vain, I just can't stand to watch it. It means something to me. Because you know what? If I don't watch it, then that's one less person paying for that stuff. Maybe at some point they're going to realize, just like Sony has started to realize, there's a section of people that don't want that language. Because some of those movies, they're awesome. I love it when they come on TV and they're edited. Sometimes they've still got some of the language in it, but I know they've cut out God's name. They've cut out some other. I don't need that. Why? Does that really make the movie? Oh, but that's real life. No, it's not. It's the world's life. And as Christians, sorry, as I spit, at least it didn't hit you. As Christians, you shouldn't have to put up with that. You have every right to tell people to stop. I'm going to share this with you, and I'll stop. As I worked at Petey Lumber Company, I shared with you, I was 19 years old. The contractor that came in, a lot of people couldn't stand him. I didn't understand why. I just I saw another contractor that he was foul-mouthed and just as, as vulgar as a lot of the rest of them. It didn't bother me. They're like, Scott, we're not going to wait on him. Every time he pulled up, the guys would go the other way. I was like, ah, that's fine. Well, what I didn't know, this guy had actually been in prison, been in a federal penitentiary. He had killed someone with a claw hammer. He'd taken a claw hammer and, and beat somebody to death with it. He got angry. Some things had happened. And so I didn't know that. If I had known that, I probably would have been like Elijah. These guys, I'm loading them finally one day. He got mad because I had shoved a board in and hit the side of his truck a little too hard. I apologize, but he still started cursing, and he took God's name in vain. I looked at him, I called him by name, and I said, Sir, I don't get paid enough to put up with it. I said, That name is something important to me. I slipped the last piece of wood in, and I started to walk away, and he said, I need some plywood. I said, I'll go get your plywood. I said, But I'm not going to listen to your language. I said, So if you'll just sit in the car, I'll load the plywood myself in this truck. Loaded the plywood, the guys were laughing, they saw me up there loading it, him sitting in the truck, and they said, why didn't he help you? He always helps when he's up there. I said, I asked him to sit in the truck. So I told him what I had said to him. I wasn't rude, I wasn't hateful to him, I just said it means something to me. You know what, after I told them what happened, they said, Scott, do you know why he is so rough? And I said, no. They told me about what I just told you. My jaw dropped. I was like, what? I said, he had a hammer sitting on the seat which he'd already served his time. He'd been released. He had made a change while he was in jail, they said. There were some things that happened. You know what? The next day he came in. He came up to me, tears in his eyes. He said, Scott, you're the first person to ever stand up to me when I've used something like that. He apologized. Every time after that he'd come in, he never cursed around me. I know he's still cursing. But you know what? Every time he saw me, you know what he was thinking? I don't need to take my name in vain near him. He said, God, come on. I'm not telling you that because I'm something great. Trust me. I struggled with a lot of things. Language was not one of them. Some of you in this room, it's language. Some of you, it's other things. I know for me, language was not an issue. Guys, how do you stop this thinking, thinking? Don't pay attention to it. Focus on what God has in your life. The last thing I can leave you with, man, God is awesome. If you don't listen to the world, if you don't listen to things going on around you, God has some great things in store for you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Again, I don't do this for my own benefit. I do it so I know how to pray for you. Any of you say, Scott, pray for me. The stuff you said today about thinking about ourselves and this thinking, thinking, really I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with the fact what to do in my spiritual life. The things that people say, that how they hurt, they cut me, they make me feel horrible. Pray for me. I need some help. Slip your hand up, put it down. Thank you. Guys, do you understand in this room, many of you, 
Some of the problems, I said it yesterday, I'm going to say it again. Find an accountability partner, your youth pastor, your pastor, someone in your youth group, someone at your church. Ask them to pray for you. Man, when that stuff starts coming up like Elijah, go to him and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I feel like Elijah. I'm all alone. No one cares. Because you know what? You're not out there alone. There are so many Christians out there that are struggling with a lot of the same things that you are. In this room, you wouldn't believe it. If I had asked you to look, the hands that went up, your friends, some of your peers, some of you, the counselors, the staff, hey, pray for me, Scott. I'm struggling. Because you know what? We all struggle. I struggle. If you look, my hand was up. I am struggling as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I should just come to you so humbled, so thankful for your power and your presence, Lord. I look at the story of Elijah. There are so many stories like this, Lord, where this, this man saw some awesome things. He saw you work. He saw your power and the fire you sent down from heaven to just destroy this altar. He saw the fact that not only that, but he outran a chariot back to the town. And yet he still listened to one woman who was a godless person threatened his life, and he became so self-conscious and self-consumed. I know in my life I'm so conscious of myself and what I need, not what others need. Bless us, be with these, these young people, Lord, that they would focus on you and what you have for them. I thank you once again that with your help we can stop that stinking thinking that's going on in our head. We won't be blinded, we won't be deaf, and we won't uh, forget the confidence and the courage you've given us. Bless us now in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.